Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, both sides of the teacher's strike. We will speak to union presidents and the assistant to the Minister of Education. I guarantee we've heard it all before from both sides. And there's a new time person of the year. Are you happy with Greta? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Sam Oosteroff, Parliamentary Assistant to the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, and MPP for Niagara West, and is on the line with us now. Sam, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. All right, we got a couple of questions. We got to fire off here at you, and and, and I'm trying to sort of uh, wade through what each side is saying and trying to figure out uh, uh, the, what a, 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 point, a poignant question is. We we just heard a clip from our news uh, on our newscast uh, from uh, the union president that said that back in March, uh, your government uh, announced its plan to eliminate one in four high school teacher positions. Uh, can you clarify your stand? on are you cutting high school teachers what are you doing what what are they talking about about one in four high school teaching positions will be eliminated look uh, I think it's important to remember what happened in March we announced 1.6 billion dollars in teacher attrition protection funding to ensure that uh, no teachers would lose their job in the province of Ontario to ensure that uh, no teacher would not be without a a position uh, this fall and we've seen a lot of the hyperbole that we saw this spring not materialized in boards uh, across the province. Uh, and we've actually made significant investments into education across the province. This year alone, uh, the fall economic statement shows that education has increased by $1.2 billion additionally on top of what was being spent last year. That's, that's the first time that the education budget in Ontario has crossed the $30 billion threshold mark. So we are making significant uh, investments in education, but we're also saying let's do so in a way that puts resources at the front of the classroom. Let's do so in a way that supports students uh, for the jobs of today and tomorrow. So we're doing things like investing $200 million into uh, math and science, technology, engineering uh, courses. We're uh, investing doubling the mental health envelope to put more supports and resources in the front of the classroom to support students because we believe students deserve to succeed. What we have also shown is that we're being reasonable at the bargaining table by moving from 28 students in a classroom to 25, by moving from four mandatory online learning courses uh, to two. But what we haven't seen, unfortunately, in all this, Scott, and this is, this is really concerning for us today as, as the strike is ongoing, we haven't seen any moves by the union at the negotiating table. They have not made a single move uh, in good faith that would that would ensure we could get a deal that uh, protects parents and students and, and educators alike and that ensures we have predictability in the system. We've made moves. They haven't. We're saying, look, we're offering $750 million uh, in pay increase, uh, but that's not enough. They want $1.5 billion. Uh, and we have to be respectful of, of the taxpayer's purse, and that's why we're making the changes we are. Uh, you say compensation. They say class size in e-learning. Uh, even the uh, chair of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board has said here on this show that they're losing teachers, that they'll lose classes. They will not be able to provide the services that they've been providing. How do you answer that? Well, it's been clear when we've shown uh, the $1.6 billion teacher attrition protection fund uh, that we are funding every Uh, We are funding every position to make sure that no teachers will involuntarily lose their jobs. Uh, Now, there's always going to be some changes in boards when you have 
uh, changes in enrollment, for example, if enrollment goes up uh, or enrollment goes down, there are those types of changes. But uh, outside of that, we have made very clear that, that we are protecting every position. And we're making sure that every school board and every school has the resources that they need to graduate uh, the students that are in their schools uh, properly equipped for the jobs of today and tomorrow. But our real concern and one of the reasons we feel uh, this strike is so unnecessary is that for over 200 days, 211 days, I believe, uh, we've been in this position where we're saying let's negotiate with the unions. We've shown that we can get deals as we did with QP last month, as we did announce also yesterday a deal with the Education Workers Alliance of Ontario. We've shown that we can get deals that protect kids that uh, support education workers, uh, and we haven't seen OSSTF or, or, uh, be reasonable about this. We haven't seen them uh, willing to make any changes at the bargaining table, and so now we're in a situation where these labor escalations continue. And Scott, it's one of those things where, uh, unfortunately, no matter the stripe of government, whether it's uh, the Liberals or even you know Bob Ray back in, back in the 90s, Mike Harris, Doug Ford, they all have uh, a couple things in common, and that is uh, labor escalation, unfortunately. So we're saying, let's put away uh, the escalation, let's stop the strikes that hurt kids, and let's get back to uh, back to class. They seem to be concentrating, the teachers' union seems to be concentrating on class size. Is there any room for movement there within the government? Well, we've shown substantial movement, uh, going from, from 28 to 25. What about below 25? Well, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say where those bargaining where those discussions go. What we've said is let's have private mediation. Uh, we put that offer on the table to say let's go uh, sit down with uh, with a private mediator between the two parties, as we did with QP last month, as we did with EWAO, and let's get uh, a deal that that resolves these issues. But if they're not willing to come to the table with innovative options. Uh, th- that's extremely frustrating and disappointing uh, for students and parents and, and, and uh, the, a government that's trying to negotiate in good faith that's trying to be a reasonable force at that table. Uh, the Minister of Education said yesterday that uh, uh, with, the u- with all of the unions' compensation and class size demands and applying those same terms to other education unions through the Me Too clause and such, that this could cost $7 billion over three years. The union doesn't understand how you arrived at that figure. Well, uh, the minister, I, I believe, was very clear. This isn't just uh, to take into consideration just OSSTF, although their demands are, are significant. Uh, this is the cost of education union uh, costs that are tabled across the sector right now. Uh, in our conversations, as you know, there's conversations with nine unions ongoing, uh, although we have seen resolutions to two uh, good resolutions that, that were able to uh, avoid strikes. Uh, and we have seen that the numbers work out to $7 billion when you take into consideration all the various asks that are being made. Uh, and we feel taxpayers have to be respected, and that also means uh, ensuring that we have uh, a, a reasonable uh, reasonable offer on the table. Now, I, I want to be clear here. We support our education workers and teachers. We have uh, some of the highest paid in the industrialized world. Uh, in the OECD actually released a report saying that Canada's teachers are the second highest paid in, in the world, and Ontario's teachers are the second highest in Canada. Uh, and we, we believe that they, they deserve it. They're very hardworking individuals, uh, people who, who spend a great deal of time uh, promoting the, the best interests of our youth. Uh, and we believe they, they deserve this level of compensation. But what we're saying is we want to also make sure that we're putting more supports in the front of classroom, that we're supporting kids. And that's why we've done things like invest $200 million into uh, math, technology, engineering, science, uh, which is why we've doubled mental health support. Where are we on a mediator? Sorry to interrupt. We've only got limited time here, Sam. Yeah, Where are we on a mediator on mediation for all of this? 
Well, we're saying let's get down, let, let's uh, sit down no matter what time or day. If it's Christmas Eve, if it's Christmas Day, we're happy to sit down. Uh, we put that offer of mediation on the table and we want to get a deal. All right. Joining us has been Sam Ustra, Parliamentary Assistant to the Minister of Education and MPP for Niagara West. Sam, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, Scott. Talk to you soon. Let's bring in Harvey Bischoff. He is with us now, President of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation and is on the line now. Harvey, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Harvey, I was just talking to uh, Sam Oosteroff, uh, Parliamentary Assistant to the Minister of Education. Where are we with mediation? Is that an option for your side? Well, mediation's been an option for our side since we accepted mediation a couple of weeks ago. Government proposed mediation. We uh, immediately accepted that proposal. Um, we mutually agreed on a mediator and had her at the table 24 hours, um, you know, within 24 hours of, of being asked. So mediation is not is not a problem at all. Uh, where are we? Uh, the, uh, again, Sam just said that you that uh, you have been offered all of these, uh, 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 I guess, concessions over the course of the uh, uh, negotiations. You've said they haven't brought anything to the table. Where do we go from here, uh, Harvey? So I just uh, I, I've just heard from my office that we heard from the mediator. Um, it's probably 20 minutes ago. Um, that uh, that the mediator was suggesting Monday, Tuesday as dates to get back together at the table. Um, we have accepted those dates, uh, assuming we haven't had confirmation that the government uh, will be there, but assuming they are, we'll be back at the table Monday, Tuesday. Wow, that's great news to hear. Uh, now, yesterday the education minister said uh, he added a new, a new figure to all of this. Uh, the, the union's compensation, uh, all of the union's compensation, including class size and demands and applying those terms to the other education unions would cost the province uh, over $7 billion over three years. Your thoughts, Harvey? For heaven's sake! I mean, uh, a few days ago it was 1.5 billion. Now they're they're claiming seven billion. They couldn't make sense out of those numbers themselves when they presented them to the media. You know, here's what happened: we asked the government for costing of a number of things, um, which are meant to inform the bargaining process. Instead of bringing that information to the bargaining table and explaining it to us, they held a, a media availability and talked there and couldn't explain that seven billion dollar figure. It's a it's a distraction. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, and uh, and it but the what the rest of those numbers confirmed is what I've been saying all along. Our proposal for a cost of living adjustment for our members so they could keep up with the with the rate of inflation for the first time after seven years of falling behind costs about two hundred million dollars. And that's actually found in the government's figures. Uh, the, you, uh, the union side is saying this is more about class size and e-learning. They say it's about compensation. Is there any movement? It, it seems for for uh, your side, the, the class size is a huge, uh, a huge issue, and obviously for a lot of parents as well. Um, is there any chance on um, on uh, on negotiating that? I mean, they say they've come down from twenty eight to twenty five. What's the sweet spot for you? Yeah, but they, they haven't come down from 28 to 25. That's the important thing to understand. Last year, the average class size was 22. This year, it's 22 and a half unilaterally imposed by the government, and they're proposing to raise it to 25. It's very much the same with their e-learning uh, proposal. Currently, we have zero mandatory e-learning courses. They're proposing to raise that to two. In the absence of any evidence whatsoever that mandatory e-learning is good for students, they can't point to a model that says that it's that this is a good idea. Could that be um, because it's technology and it's reasonably new? 
Well, so here's what we propose. We propose sit down, we, that we sit down with government, with school boards, with interested parties, and we, we do some research, and we take a look at what's the best way forward with e-learning rather than using high school students as guinea pigs in this. Um, that seems like a, a reasonable proposal. We're not saying no e-learning, and we're not even saying necessarily what will happen in the future. We're saying voluntary e-learning can continue, and let's study whether or not it's successful before we throw our kids into that. Um, you know, it sounds like we could solve this right now on this show. It, it sounds so simple that you're you're closer apart, um, or closer together than farther apart here. Uh, again, twenty-two versus twenty-five, twenty-five versus twenty-eight. Where's the meeting point here? Well, you know, I, I why we would want to compromise the quality of education I, I, from what we had just last year when we had average class sizes of twenty-two to one which doesn't mean maximum class sizes, to be clear. We still have classes well above that in order to support some smaller classes for kids with special needs and and, uh, and so forth. Um, So I don't see why they're insistent on compromising the quality of education. I don't know what's changed in the environment that would require uh, that. Well, some may say it doesn't affect the quality of education that much. Uh, Special needs, I mean, those are all special situations and and different from uh, from what we're chatting about. But at the end of the day, when these kids are on their way to university where the class sizes are much bigger, uh, how do you how do you warrant smaller class sizes just a year or so ahead of time? I mean, again, I, I, you know, 22, 25, I think they're all manageable. I think they're all workable. Uh, how do we how do we uh, uh, manage the transition between high school and university when we're con- when we're continually shrinking the sizes of, of, of high school? Well, to be to be clear, 22, 25, we're talking about averages. We're not talking about caps. So th- at the same time as the government is talking Well, about- averages could also mean lower then. And again, you know, you're talking in a gray area here. So, um, so, what, I'm, so what, I'm, what I'm saying is at, at average class size of what, what the government has proposed is an average class size of 25, which is an increase. But they've also promote, proposed the elimination of all language anywhere in the province that creates caps on any individual class. So right now, in school boards all around the province, there are different maximum class sizes for different kinds of students, different levels of learning, and so forth. And they've been negotiated over years to support quality learning environments. They're saying completely eliminate those, so any class can be as large as the number of kids you can stick into it, and I don't see how that... Uh, wow, Harvey, it seems it seems as soon as we get close to a solution, Harvey, uh, we just go deeper into the weeds with this. I mean, you're talking about extreme situations here and extreme cases. We're trying to, to work with an average here. We're trying to see what works best for Ontario. I understand it's not a one-size-fits-all for, for every scenario, and, and those situations where special needs are... are are applicable they they would apply but but again it just seems that as soon as we come to a um a, a discussion point on this the teachers unions just take this deeper and deeper into the weeds but, and then but, and then and then say it's too complex for the average taxpayer or parent to understand i've, I've said no such thing scott that's I, I have not said it's too complex what i have said is it's the government that's proposing the allowability of extreme class sizes we currently have. How about we cross, how about we cross that bridge when we get to it? Well, we've crossed that bridge because this year, when the government unilaterally raised average class sizes from twenty-two to twenty-two and a half, we had individual classes go to forty and more students in various places in the province. We're already at extremes, and I don't see how that is uh, how that is productive when it comes to creating a quality of education environment. 
again, are they not extreme scenarios that eventually work themselves out due to special circumstances? Is that like no, it's not, not the average? And, and to be clear, when you talk about you know you talk about special needs and averages and so forth, that's that's my whole point. If you have to have a smaller class to accommodate kids who have special needs or or a special kind of course being taught. When you have an average, that means on the other side, it has to balloon in order to no, I understand average that. out to that number. No, that makes total sense, Harvey. Um, so what do you think that the chances are of, of uh, some sort of progress uh, come mediation time next week? Well, look, I'm going to go with, uh, with every hope and every commitment to doing our best uh, by, by the students who, you know, my members serve every single day. Um, and uh, and we will we will absolutely uh, give it our best effort to try to bring this to resolution. Again, Harvey, the thing that keeps coming back with me is forty years of conflict. And I know we've had this discussion, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but it's just it's forty years over and over and over again. And on behalf of the parents, you know, I, let, let's just work together and try to get this puppy done. I, I couldn't agree more, but I would also agree with parents who have overwhelmingly told government they don't want bigger classes, they don't want e-learning. They want support staff in schools to give kids an equitable chance of success. Um, and so the proposals we have on the table support what parents have, obviously not universally, but overwhelmingly told this government. Uh, okay, we'll leave it at that. Harvey Bischoff has been with us, president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Harvey, thanks for the time. Good luck next week. Oh, he's, hello? 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 On to the next call. He's a busy guy. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Man, you know, we just had uh, Harvey Bischoff on, the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, and Sam Usra, parliamentary assistant to the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, uh, with the government side, had them on. And honestly, it's like, um, it's like I'm at the dinner table with my kids fighting. It really is. And then as soon as... and uh, as soon as you solve one problem, then they take you deeper into the weeds with another one. Yeah, but what about this, Dad? Yeah, but she looked at me, and then and, and then she she came over to my side of the table. She looked at me funny. And honestly, I mean, it, and again, I'm a guy in my 50s. I remember going through this in high school. So I have lived this for 40 years through three different political parties and now as a parent, as a kid and as a parent. Doesn't that make you feel old? So, and again, as I'm listening to both sides, it's the same stuff. We've always been talking about class size. We've been always talking about compensation. We've been, it, like you, the only thing that's new in this discussion is e-learning. And that's because the technology, this has been going on so long that the technology wasn't even invented back then. You know, and, and even I asked about e-learning. Well, blah, 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 but wasn't that the, you know, there's no study that says, well, it's all brand new. Isn't this something, isn't this the future? Isn't this, don't we look at this? Well, they're not doing it that way. Oh my goodness. So you agree with e-learning. There's not the way they're doing it. And it, it, honestly, I feel like I, I'm standing in the middle of my two kids and I, and I've got their heads in my hand, and they're just swinging at each other. That's what it feels like. And it's been going on for 40 years, and it doesn't matter what the government of the day is. There is nothing new here. There is nothing new. The only thing that's new on this table is e-learning. Every one of these issues has been discussed in the past. All right. 
on that note, let's bring in uh, Travis Danraj, Queen's Park reporter, Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6 for more on all of this. Travis, how are you today? <laughs> well, I'm worried I can't add anything new to the conversation now. <laughs> um, you, honestly, you okay, I, everything all right today? No, nah, you know, I'm just, I'm just a cranky old man today. I'm just a cranky old parent. But again, it's, you know, and, and I respectfully say this to both sides, that it's just, my goodness, as a kid and as a parent, I, I've gone through this uh, off and on for 40 years. Uh, anything new down there? Uh, we were chatting about mediation to both of these parties. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, well, that was happening. Harvey Bischoff announced or said that uh, there had been a note sent to him in the last few minutes saying that there were some sort of mediation talk scheduled for next week, that there was talk of bringing a mediator in. Have you heard anything about that? Well, I mean, so this is this is what it is. When we were at Scrums uh, just about an hour ago or so, which basically are the interviews that ministers do after question period, uh, Stephen Lecce, the education minister, said that he wasn't aware that uh, – the union had given the mediator date, so there may have been some movement in that. I'm not aware of what's happened in the past kind of half an hour or so, but uh, but there there seems to be some movement on that front, which is a good sign. But you're you're absolutely right. Listen, this is infuriating. It's it's frustrating for parents and for students who are smack dab in the middle of all of this as it goes on. And you know, both sides are saying here, and you probably you know heard this when they. You talk to them that they are bargaining in good faith. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know they're bargaining through the media and they're bargaining through the public, and that's why it's it's really frustrating sometimes. You know, it's it's like get to the table, and there needs to be an adult in the room, and get out of there and let us know once you have a deal. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be happening right now. So uh, I mean, we saw this second Wednesday walkout happen. Could we see that again next week? Could we see an escalation? Well, that is very likely. But what is crystal clear right now is that they are nowhere close to a deal, and they're very far apart on a number of issues. Uh, And it seems as though the government says compensation top amongst them. Uh, yesterday, uh, this uh, Stephen Lecce dropped this bomb, saying that uh, you know if you add up the compensation and, and uh, the Me Too clause, and everybody gets what we're asking for, and they also included some additions to sick leave and, and maternity and such, that this could hit seven billion over three years. Right. Uh, the union has absolutely no idea how they've arrived at that figure. The government says they've arrived at it when they when they bring in everybody into negotiations. Uh, have we been able to define whether it is class size or? Uh, compensation? Because again, with the discussion I've had, it was like impossible. Well, let, let, let me talk about this, the $7 billion figure and also the $1.5 billion figure in, in terms of compensation that the the government's been putting out there as well, because there have been a number of these figures floating around. There is no doubt that if you give uh, unions a 2% raise, it's going to cost a lot of money. But what that actual figure is going to be no, no one knows at this point because the deals aren't done at the table for each union, so they don't know the cost. Yesterday we were on what's called a technical briefing call with uh, you know, uh, ministry officials. When we got this document and we saw at the end of it basically the $7 billion figure. Now, you know, we're asking, the journalists are all on the call from the various networks and newspapers, and we're asking for specifics as to how they got there. And they said, well, it's a complicated funding formula, and these are estimates, but... You know, that's what we arrived at. So the opposition uh, basically saying, listen, the government is trying to muddy the waters here. They're throwing out all these numbers. Uh, But 
Lecce does have a point in saying that it is going to cost a lot of money, but the $7 billion, I don't know how seriously you can take that. Um, do We certainly heard on Tuesday elementary teachers uh, ramping up their job action, uh, working to rule and such. Do these two unions or do these unions coordinate with each other how this is all done? It, it yeah, seemed, 100% they yeah. do. And, and they'll probably tell you that they, they don't talk to one another. They 100% do talk to one another. And this is a coordinated effort. And yesterday you saw a little bit of a... Uh, a split when it came to that because the government was able to get a deal with one of the very small uh, educational assistant unions, uh, the Education Workers Alliance of Ontario, I think they're called, but they only have about 4,000, 5,000 full-time members, 6,000 members altogether. Uh, But the government used that as a win, saying, look, we were able to get a deal with CUPE and we were able to get a deal with EWAO. The one, the one other factor here, though, is that in some of these deals, and most of these deals for the smaller unions, they have essentially what, what's you know referred to as a Me Too clause, which means if yeah. a larger union like OSSTF gets a 2% raise, then they will as well. And so the real battle right now is with ETFO and with OSSTF. Uh, has there been any more chatter from uh, the elementary teachers' union about what their next step is since today is secondary, st- uh, secondary schools? Well, on Friday at Federation Day here in Toronto, uh, Sam Hammond, who's the president of ETFO, the Elementary Teachers Federation of uh, Ontario, called uh, Minister Lecce a liar. So uh, that's not uh, you know, good news in terms of how negotiations are going. In terms of a ramp-up, I don't think that you are going to see uh, a walkout before the winter break. Yeah. Uh, we are in phase two right now, which means that they're not planning field trips. We could see another phase in that work to rule action. But in terms of a strike, I don't think that that's on the horizon until uh, after the break, if we get there. All right. So we saw a very divisive federal election campaign, and we all know where that led. And um, and, and and many have said that the country is more divided now than it, they've ever seen it and such. And then post-election... There was a kumbaya moment, and everybody came together and started hugging, and the premiers are meeting with the uh, prime minister, and everybody's trying to get along and, and help each other and stick up for each other. Uh, then you have uh, Sam Hammond using terms like liar. Um, is there a kumbaya moment coming here, or is this just bang, 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 bang conflict? Uh, I mean, like, what is the red line? I mean, if the red line for the unions is 2%, uh, in terms of compensation, which they they have not said whether or not it is or not. They, I mean, they, they're talking about you know the fact that they want reduction in class sizes. They don't want to see mandatory e-learning, and that this is about uh, students learning. Certainly, it is about those issues, but they haven't made clear whether or not two percent is a red line. If that is the case, it is crystal clear right now that for the government. is the red line. That's all they're willing to give right now in terms of raises. So we could be in this battle for some time. No kumbaya moment uh, on the horizon right now, at least when it comes to the the big unions and the government. And what about class size? Because, again, I had this conversation with both sides uh, just prior to you coming on. And, you know, initially 22 was where it was at. Then they took it to 28. They brought it back down to 25. So that's right in the center. So So, And I I said to both, so can you come down on one? Can you go up on the other? There's got to be a a sweet spot here somewhere. And, again, couldn't get a straight answer on that one. 
So I don't know if you saw the story that I did uh, earlier this month, but it was basically on the government consultations, which now the unions are using to kind of, you know, as talking points out there. But the story was essentially about these consultations that the government undertook when Lisa Thompson was the education minister to look at how parents felt about a number of issues, including class size. Now, the results of those consultations are in Fort Knox somewhere, locked away in Minister Lech's office or who knows where. They, they don't want the results to get out because what sources have told us, uh, multiple sources, is that the, the results aren't good for the government. It shows that parents don't want to see any increase in class size. In fact, the overwhelming majority, 70% of parents, told the government that they didn't want to see that. They also said that they didn't want to see mandatory e-learning. So... Uh, so that's kind of the backdrop in terms of uh, of, of what's happening right now. Twenty two uh, up to twenty five. Uh, it was going to be twenty eight. So the government basically is positioning this by saying, "Listen, we're, we are we are dropping it down, but it's still the union says an increase from that twenty two to twenty five. So that's where we are right now. Uh, I, I I do feel as though from talking to some sources that the government is willing. To move on class sizes, we might. I think you're going to see that right at the very end of all this, Travis. I think yeah. that that's their trump card, and they're holding it in their back pocket, and then they're going to say, "Look, see now, now what are we going to do?" Um, yeah. Because again, you know, with what you said with the with the parents' uh, consultation and them wanting cla- a smaller class size, and who doesn't think about it? I mean, you know, it, it's it's like anything. Uh, you 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 want the teacher ratio to be as low as possible, but uh, so that on top of e-learning. But to me, those seem very negotiable, especially with the e-learning thing. I mean, my goodness, technology is changing every time we blink. So how can we just say no? Uh, there's got to be consultation there, and as you mentioned with the class size, one or two. I Either way, my goodness, I mean, we're talking inches here. Yeah, and the government says that they've moved on e-learning as well from four uh, mandatory down to two. So, uh, I I mean, you you may definitely see movement on those two fronts. And I think particularly from what I'm hearing, the buzz uh, around here is that on on class size, the government might move on that. But, again, you know, then we get back to compensation. So, uh, I mean, you know, the rubber is really going to meet the road here when we we, uh, see how this goes on compensation. Because if that is indeed the real issue for the union, um, then... The government's not going to meet them. And you have to also remember Bill 124, uh, which was that cap on public sector wages, that's the law of the land right now. So technically, um, you know, if they open that up for OSSTF or ETFO, then that could start a domino effect. And the unions have already said that that bill was unconstitutional, so you'll likely see a court challenge in the the weeks ahead here as well. Uh, what and you mentioned this earlier. The fact that we're uh, you know we're coming up to Christmas, it's holiday time. How is that changing all of this? Is that um, working in anyone's favor? Is it working out of favor? You know, parents have enough on their mind. Do they want to be dealing with this? On the other hand, uh, well, I, I, I does I that play a factor? Yeah, I think it does 100% play a factor because I don't think that at least with the elementary kids, like I said, you're going to see a strike anytime soon, and also. You know, as simple, as simplistic as this is, weather is a factor, right? It's pretty cold outside right now, um, and, and that does play a factor in whether or not they want to be out on the, the picket line. Um, so, I, I mean, you probably will not see, as I said, uh, full-fledged at full strike if that happens until after the break. The high school teachers, though, they could walk out again. And you have to remember, it is much more disruptive 
for the elementary kids to go out than the high school kids because high school kids can take care of themselves for the most part. They can go down to the mall or something like yep. that. Um, it is disruptive, but not far far from what it would be for younger kids. Yeah, they all invite their friends over to my house. No, and enough about me. Uh, Travis Danraj has been with us, Queen's Park reporter for Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 5.30 for N6 for more on this. Travis, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Anytime. Talk to you soon. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. Lots to chat about today. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, principal at Alyssa PR. She is a public relations guru and with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Always, always, Scott. Let's start with a teacher strike. I don't think I said I was going to talk to you about this, but what I find interesting today, I've had, and I've done this, uh, I think we did it last week as well, uh, had both the uh, president of the Secondary Teachers Federation on and either uh, the Minister of Education or his assistant on to talk about this. We've had one on for like 15 minutes and then go right to the other. We've reversed them, done one first, the other one second, trying to figure out uh, exactly what's going on and trying to make sense of all of this and as I'm sitting here as a guy in my 50s I just cannot help but say to myself I have heard this all before since I was a kid I remember dealing with this as a high school student and then as a parent with kids in the elementary or the secondary system through three different types of government it's the same thing Every single few couple of years, it's the same dance. The only thing that has changed is that now e-learning is on the table because back when all this started, that technology didn't even exist. So how can we, are, are we at any place new with this? Is, is anything resonating other than it's all about the kids, it's all about the kids, it's all about the kids? Because it seems to me anybody that's old enough to remember, this just happens every single time. And I think that that's a really great point you raised, because for the first time, when the media was scrumming Harvey Bischoff, who was head of the OSSTF yesterday, first of all, he was really on point with his messaging. I've never heard him so on point. And the other thing that it seems to be, the narrative seems to be moving in another direction. So it's interesting. The reporters, for the first time ever, said, well, what's your narrative? And how do we know, and how are you going to combat um, Stephen Lecce's narrative. And honest to goodness, I've never heard reporters ask that question before. So when you talk about narratives, honestly, it's the same refrain. It doesn't matter who the government is. It doesn't matter who the premier is. They, you know, the, the unions hate them all, and they want what they want. But here's the thing. I think that parents are just getting sick and tired of it. And what you have here is a very fickle end-user audience, and that is parents. So right now, I would say that parents are probably more sympathetic to the unions because they don't want the quality of their kids' education undermined. However, once you start to get into more than one-day uh, rotating strikes and things start to start happen in sequence, that fickle audience of parents is going to move away from the unions probably and start to side with the government, saying, okay, listen, you're asking for 2% year over year for three years. Who else? If I wanted a, you know, a 6% raise in three years, I can't go to the government and ask them to give me one. I have to earn it. So you are asking Ontarians, many of whom don't earn as much as teachers, which is somewhere in the mid-90s, that to be sympathetic to that fact. 
the other narrative that's coming out loud and clear is that, yes, it's all about the children. It's all about the children until you're not giving me my money, as far as I'm concerned. However, you have Lecce saying, listen, if we do everything that they're going to ask for, it's going to cost us $7 billion over three years. And I know that that's a whole rolled-up number, and that's something that governments often do when they're sure. trying to make a point. On the other hand, you have Bischoff, who was saying, how am I supposed to tell that to my teacher, you know, to my member who's making $38,000 a year? Well, we also know that that number is not necessarily true. That might be for um, an assistant within the classroom, but that's certainly not for a teacher with a number of years under their belt. So it depends on which side of the line you fall. Are you going for the inflated number narrative, or are you on the side of the deflated number narrative? And honestly, I think that's where we're at right now. Uh, I was talking to Harvey Bischoff uh, the second time, uh, not this time today, but prior to this last week, and, and, and brought up the point that I did to you, that I've been through this as a kid and now as a parent, and it's been happening for 40 years despite the political party today. And he actually said, and used the word raid, they're all out to raid the education system. Well, and, that's a and, great talking point. And I just, I just thought, man, like, you know, I, I say some pretty critical things about politicians, but whatever side of the spectrum you're on here, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's out to raid anything. They're all trying to do what they think is right and perhaps, you know, going at it from different directions. But I thought that was really strong, militant language. And to me, that just represents what this is all about. It's, it, it's, it's, it's not about the kids. Although, you know, when other companies go on strike, they don't say to their customers, this is just for you. This is so we can make a better product for you. But yet we seem to fall, fall for that when they hold up a picture of your child. You know, I think that when you're in the info wars, which is where we're at right now with this uh, between the Ministry of Education and the unions, it's who's going to win the info wars. So last week, I'm pretty sure we talked about this, where you have the unions that are set up basically at all the schools, you know, at a table. So when parents are dropping off, if A, you want to talk to the parents about your side of the deal, or B, remind kids why you're on strike, you know, that type of arms and legs and grassroots outreach is something that the ministry or the government really is never going to be able to do. All you have is a one-man band in Stephen Lecce who has been doing, you know, running around the city, doing every interview possible, and being on the phone talking, you know, to every news talk radio station uh, possible, too. So, you know, when you are trying to win the war of what messages are going to stick, it doesn't surprise me that Bischoff is going for strong militant language, such as raid, um, in order to try and level up over what Lecce is saying. But over and above the messaging, over and above, you know, uh, if you're a parent and, and you care about the kids and all of that stuff and whatever your view is... This is still 40 years of conflict, despite the government of the day. And, you know, can you name another province where every couple of years we go through this dance? And, and, and it just seems we always end up at the exact same place. So, again, whether it's the messaging, this, that, or the other, 
Nothing has changed. It's still been 40 years of conflict. It's still 40 years of somebody raiding a system. Somebody said to me that you're going to see a break in this as healthcare costs continue to soar, and that's where the money is going to have to be directed. Because right now, there's way more teachers that are on the uh, that are standing in line waiting to get teachers' jobs than than uh, you, you can imagine. I mean, there's lots of tw- late tw- uh, teachers in their late 20s and 30s that are still trying to get into the system because there's more teachers out there. And and the, the, the enrollment has stagnated. So again, where do you go with this? How do you keep positioning this as a win as if the parents have never heard this argument before? Again, to me, it's because it's becoming generational. We all know the message now. We all know what's happening. How long can they continue to, to do this to us? Until the two parties come to the table and are able to talk like adults, meet together, and then talk about the things that can happen as opposed to the things that they know can't happen. When you're bargaining, you obviously have things on the table that you can live or live without. And then there's your hard line, which is your, you know, your hard line ask, which you're never, you have the stake in the ground that you absolutely have to achieve. So, you know, the the, the art of negotiation is never going to change, number one. The players, while their faces may change, the narrative never changes, number two. And until longer-term deals are struck, then you're naturally going to, uh, you know, undergo this every so many years. Mm-hmm. So it's really up to the government to say, all right, we're going to strike you this deal. However, it's for 10 years or whatever. But you and, might, and, yeah, I mean, remember back to the days of Dalton McGinty, it was like, you know, that's it. We've had enough of teacher unrest. So he opened up the checkbook and everything was copacetic for a few years. And then they made Dalton McGinty walk the plank. That's how we got Kathleen Wynne. Well, this is it. And, you know, the other thing, too, is is that you have what they call the Me Too clause. So, uh, you know, originally, I think for the public service, or I think it was through Unifor, they got a 1% raise. So if you go ahead and give the teachers 2%, apparently the others can turn around and say, there's a clause in all these contracts that say, okay, well, now we're coming after you for 2%. And then you have this other side with Doug Ford, who was trying to be like a good guy, trying to be like a, a unifier and a statesman. And does he want to be seen as the bad guy? Because there's all sorts of things that they had on the table that they want cut. You know, there was that program for special classes for kids with autism. And, you know, apparently that's going to go by the wayside. Um, the IB program, the International Baccalaureate program, is now going to cost parents $3,000 if they want their kid to be in that. And I can kind of see my way clear to that, except if you are, have a smart kid in a priority neighborhood and $3,000 is way out of reach. So we know there's a huge deficit. Ontarians put Doug Ford in because he wanted, they wanted to get rid of the deficit. But as soon as you start cutting those, you go, oh, oh no, 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 no. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> can't have that cut. Yeah. So It's like the climate change argument. You know, we'll pay a couple of cents just to feel good, even though it doesn't do anything. Well, exactly. All right. Speaking of climate change, let's move on to Greta Thunberg, a 16-year-old now announced uh, that she is Time Person of the Year. Uh, When you think about this, uh, why wouldn't she be? Who else? What other single person has made as much uh, noise and gained as much attention and notoriety for a cause uh, other than Greta? Uh, It was 2016. Donald Trump was the Person of the Year. Uh, Your thoughts on Greta getting the nod this year? You know, there was a lot of talk about this, that why would a 16-year-old get the time person of the year? And one of the arguments that was given, and I find this to be very valid, that in terms of moving the environmental and slash climate change agenda, nobody has done more 
in such short a time than Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. Plus, she's gone from zero to 50 in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Only last year was she sitting outside her own government uh, with a sign that said on strike mm-hmm. because of lack of action on climate change. And then suddenly, in one year, she's mobilized cities around the world. Yeah, she's, I mean, made, an, she's made an incredible impact. That's incredible. So yeah. even if you look at all the people that they were considering, whether it was because they were victorious or notorious, then really she is a great pick. And it also represents youth, and it represents hope for the future. And I think with everything that's going on in the world today, just seeing her, her face, her face full of hope, is something we all need at this very moment. Uh, I have a different opinion on that, but I'll keep it to myself. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm, I admire her passion. I admire the cause. I admire what she's doing. Uh, I admire that she has mobilized the people that she has. And I think that's why she is Times Person of the Year, as you mentioned, for, for the sheer impact. Everybody knows who that person, who this person is. Everybody knows the what she is talking about. And, and, and for that, I believe, obviously, she should, uh, she should gain the award. But I think a lot of people are forgetting that that's what the idea behind this uh, if you want to call it an award, it, it, behind this award is. It's not about whether you agree with the cause, whether you agree with the politics, this, that, or the other. It's the impact that this person has had on society over the past year. Well, and that's true. And and listen, you're always going to agree or disagree with people's politics and the reasoning why. You know, when you have Donald Trump as, as the person of the year, I mean, what do you say about that? I mean, it's all about the impact that he made. So... You know, agree or disagree what you think about climate change. Again, but would you not would you not agree, though, this is less about like this award is less about what these people represent and more about the impact that they have made and the attention they have gained and the notoriety they have gained in the world. No. Yes, agreed. It is. It's yeah. definitely part of the criteria. And I think and that's why I some people, like, yeah, I think some people are upset, you know, whether they don't agree or disagree with their politics or if they love her politics, that that's part of the issue. And I, and I don't think that is. This is about what kind of impact from, in your business, from a public relations point, it's a brand. She's got quite the brand now. Well, I think that there is a certain sense of neutrality that is um, part of the criteria here. And as a result, you know, if you, whether you agree or disagree with, you know, the person's politics or beliefs or morals, you know, I think that that would probably leave everybody out of the equation. I guess my point, I should clarify my point in the sense that, you know, I'm not a climate change denier. I just find her um, to be at times a little too forceful, and I know that what has got her to where she is. But I think there's a more positive way to go around this than just screaming and yelling at everybody uh, is if you're a... A kid, well, a kid who know. doesn't have what I they want. That, I think that people don't only want to hear what they want to hear. And, and, you know, maybe you do need to scream a little louder in order to get your point across. You may not like her delivery, Scott, and I get that. Yeah. I get that. You know, she's very hyperbolic. She, you know, she's, this is the end of the world. And one of the things that I don't like about her rhetoric is that it's, striking the fear of God into every child. That's and what I mean. That something... You know what? You hit the nail on the head right there. It's as if, you know, she, uh, and I joked about this saying she needs a trip to Disney World uh, because it, it, what bothers me as a parent is that a child is growing up with such anger and such concern, and she should have concern. It's a world issue. But let's be a kid, too. Let's be, let's, let's keep this in perspective. Is that wrong? 
I think that she's beyond being a kid, Scott. Like, you know, really, I, I think that that's, I think that that ship has sailed. And um, I, what my problem with the, the climate change rhetoric is that it's very, very doomsday. Yeah. All of it is very, very doomsday. Yeah, there's more talk of doomsday than there is a solution or how we get there or the transition period. Agreed. And so you have these kids who are listening and, and who are, you know, very, very impressionable children. And, um, you know, all they hear is this doomsday rhetoric about how the world is going to end. And their anxiety is real. And I think that they're seeing it a lot in classrooms. I think that families are seeing a lot of it. So there's always two sides to every coin. You think, well, should I be a little bit more doomsday about this? Should my rhetoric be so extreme? Well, I don't think companies are listening to me. The people who can actually change things will only listen if I speak louder and if I speak to the extremes. So, you know, I think that there's two sides to every coin with rhetoric. It's going to affect people in different ways, and there definitely is with hers. So is she scaring the heck out of kids, or is that her role, to scare the heck out of the kids and, 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 and scare them into movement? Well, it's certainly working. So obviously, I think you hit the nail on the head. It that almost sounds like a religion. Well, it's a movement for sure, and if you look at any religion or any cult, I mean, it is rallied around a movement itself. So as a result, she's figured, well, I really have to scare people into action. We are very complacent as a society, and we're very busy people, and we only have so much bandwidth, actually, to, you know, to process and to act on what we deem important. And in, in the midst of all that clutter and all that chatter, how are you going to rise above it? And she's been able to do that. There's no doubt about that. Does this burn out? How long can she keep this up? It's interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year. Will this, you know, before, you know, we had uh, gun control rallies uh, among kids. However, that was more relegated to the states. This is more of a worldwide phenomena. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any um, sustainability uh, to her movement, if she could continue to rally the troops, as it were, because, you know, climate change and things like the Paris Accord and uh, even in this country, it, nothing is happening so fast. Nobody wants to do anything so fast because nobody wants to slap the hands of industry. As a result, I think she's got a long-term campaign. Whether she sticks to the same extreme rhetoric is something that we'll see in the future. It's going to be see. It's going to be interesting to see how this discussion evolves over the next decade, and looking back where we are and what we've done right, what we've done wrong. Would you agree? Yes, but for the first time ever, you know, climate change was an election issue, and the environment is something we've always been concerned about, but it's never been a burning platform. And this year it was. So this is the first year. Do I think that that's going to go away? No. Do I think that it'll trade places with health as a federal issue? Yes. But I think that as this generation that are now kids grow older and become of voting age, the potential for climate change and environmental issues to be top of mind absolutely exists. Mm. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, uh, principal at Alyssa PR, a public relations expert. Alyssa, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. 
The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.